Welcome back. It's good to see everybody. We are continuing our study in the book of Acts. In case you're joining us for the first time, we've actually spent the last two weeks working through chapter 10, and it's one big long story of Peter and Cornelius. So far, we've covered 33 verses, and this morning is part three, and we're not going to advance in the text at all. People have asked me how long this series will be. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. I'm not going to promise anything. Sometimes you get into a passage that's so rich that you, you could probably spend months in it, and this is one of those passages. And we've been focusing really on how is it that God brings people to saving faith. We've looked at three vignettes, the Ethiopian eunuch, and then we looked at Saul of Tarsus, how God brought him to faith, and we're in the middle of looking at how God is going to bring Cornelius to faith through the gospel that Peter's going to give. I think one of the greatest summaries of what we have been learning um, and growing in is Matthew 19, 26, when he told his disciples that with man, salvation is what? Impossible. (laughs) But with God, all things are possible. Salvation was not man's idea, nor is it in man to desire God apart from the work of God's grace and mercy by the leading of the Spirit. Chapters 10 through 11 show us that God brings people to faith by preparing both the messenger and the receiver of the gospel. And within this text, the first 33 verses, we learn some important insights into the way that God accomplishes all of that. For example, we learn that God speaks to us in various ways. And I mentioned seven last week. Through natural revelation, of course, that's creation. Through special revelation, that's, of course, through God's Word, either the preaching or you reading it or hearing God's Word. Through music, we just... We just kind of taught one another theology. We sang the truths that we believe, and we were speaking to one another in some sense through our conscience. We have a conscience that can either be seared or can be improved according to how we treat it, and God works through our conscience. conscience. And from our passage then, we learned that he also speaks to us through circumstances, my wife and I were talking this week about a number of things that we're dealing with in our lives, and we were able to, to think about what we learned last week about how God choreographs the circumstances in our lives. We miss it unless we're attuned to it. And with those choreographed circumstances is God's perfect timing that he brings about his will in his perfect time. It's not a coincidence that we run into somebody. It's not a coincidence that we cross somebody's path. And remember here that the circumstance of even Peter's hunger, God used it to heighten the impact of the food vision. That was not a coincidence. He was hungry. The food wasn't quite prepared. So God even used that natural instinct for hunger to to prioritize the food vision. We also see that he speaks through us through people. Don't ever underestimate the people that have come into your life, the people that have left your lives, how they go in and out, and they influence and they motivate motivate us and many times give us the direction that he wants. Somebody recently mentioned something about my sermon, sermons, and it wasn't necessarily negative, but it wasn't necessarily positive. And I got to thinking about that, and you know what? 
I think they're right. And I believe that God spoke to me in that scenario. And so he speaks to us all the time. He used um, Cornelius and three of his unbelieving servants as errand boys to fetch Peter and to take Cornelius, uh, to take Peter to Cornelius. So God used three unbelievers. He uses people in his life, including unbelievers, to bring about his will. And lastly, we heard that God speaks to us through prayer. So he's always speaking to us, he's always guiding us, and he's always directing us. And through these various means, through the conscience, through, through, through the word of God, through people and all the things that we just mentioned. But the stress of this story is on prayer and God's response to prayer as we see him working in both of the lives of Peter and Cornelius. Both of them were seeking him and he responded to both of them. That reminds us that prayer is essential and that we should make it a greater priority in our life. Last week I mentioned that we have a couple of, or at least one opportunity on Sunday morning we mentioned, but I want you to know my office is open at 8.30 every Sunday morning. We get together and I go over the sermon and then we pray. There's four or five of us, uh, men and women, so you're welcome there. And also I mentioned that we want to get our ministry going in prayer during service. So it's an hour and a half, seems like a long time. But we love to have people praying for the service because we believe that the power of the pulpit comes from prayer. So if just a little clarity, I know there were some questions on that. So you'll, you'd, you'd meet with another couple or somebody else and you'd pray during the whole service about various aspects of the service, about our singing, about our giving, and certainly about the preaching. So I hope we have some response to that. Well, I finished last week with a cliffhanger, and I promised that I had something to say that you wouldn't want to miss, and I threatened you even don't go on vacation. And so I, I want to I speak this morning to fulfill that promise. This is not an easy subject because it can be easily misunderstood, so I would ask that you um, listen carefully this morning because there's some subtleties that I want to cover, and I don't want any misunderstanding. <laughs> Sometimes we have expectations about God that are more assumed than true. Too often we cling to these unrealistic expectations, and then we get ourselves into trouble because how God responds and how he works isn't what we think he should respond to or work through. And I believe that many of of us and many Christians do this with prayer. We noted last week that according to James 4.2, that we don't have because we don't what? Ask. And so we start praying. Jeremiah 33.3 encourages us to call on God and he's going to answer and he's going to show us great and mighty things that we would otherwise not know. So because of these promises, then we begin asking and we begin expecting some kind of answer. I think that is legitimate. The problem is, is so often, we're going to talk honestly this morning, so often we pray and nothing happens. We expect God to answer, to drop the answer out of the sky, write it on the wall, and many times all we hear is silence. Is that not true? These are the things that Christians don't talk about but they're real, and I know they're real because I do counseling, and I know they're real because I talk to people and ask them these questions. So what happens? Well, the reality is we begin to kind of wonder why. We've got some 
major issue that we want God to help solve, to answer some sort of a prayer. And so we begin to wonder why. I had somebody recently who's dealing with a pretty significant trauma in their life, and they've been praying that this person be healed. And they looked at me with tears in their eyes, and they said, can I be honest with you? And I said, sure. And they said, I'm disappointed in God. We have those moments, I believe. We don't, we don't broadcast those thoughts. But we begin to lose heart, and sometimes doubt creeps in. And we whisper to ourselves, we wouldn't admit it, but we whisper to ourselves, and we go, I don't understand why God's not answering. I'm trying to walk in his will. I'm praying to him. He promises that he'll answer, but nothing's happened. I've been praying for years sometimes. Of course, we would never admit this out loud because uh, we would be, we would, people might think that somehow that we're unspiritual and, and that wouldn't go well. So what we do is we stay silent on these things. We keep smiling all the while bearing our own skepticism and our own silence. I've seen it in people's faces. I've seen it probably more so in counseling. This is serious stuff, but, but this remains under the surface. These are the things Christians don't talk about, just like real struggle with sin. We don't talk like Paul talked, that I have this major war of, against sin in my life, and my mind is waging war against my flesh. And by the way, when he said that, he was losing. We don't talk that honestly about our struggle with sin because we might, people might get the wrong impression. So I'm excited to teach what I've discovered because I believe that it's going to give us some hope. And it's going to do it this way. I believe that it's going to align our expectations with the way God typically works. So I think it's going to be helpful. We want to begin in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. It reads, this is the confidence that we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests, which we have, I'm sorry, know the requests, which we have asked from him. So John tells us here that when we pray, God hears us. What does that mean? Well, it means that he promises to grant our requests. What an incredible promise. But we got to be careful with that because there's something very, very significant in this verse. It's not saying that we have a blank check. There's a condition attached to this, to, to our prayers, and they're men- it's mentioned twice. There are two if clauses. Sometimes if means sense, sometimes it means really, well, if. They tell us that what we ask may or may not be acceptable to God. So there's a condition that's required, and that condition is based on if we ask according to God's will. That sounds simple and clear, doesn't it? But it's not. It's not clear at all. Why? Because we seldom know God's will on the things that we pray for. Is that not right? Let me clarify something. We want to trust God. 
And we're, as we walk through this lesson, we're going to be challenged to do that. We're going to trust God and walk in faith. But the reality is when we pray for, for example, somebody to be healed, we don't know if that's God's will. I've prayed for a lot of sick people that died. For example, a job. We don't know whether it's God's will that we get that job. We don't know if it's God's will if other people get that job. And we pray for things like going on the mission trip. Is it God, is it your will that I go? We, 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 we honestly don't know a lot of times what God's specific will is. So for our prayers to be answered then, they have to line up with God's will. And what we desire or what we believe is best is not the issue. God's will is the issue. Jesus prayed that the cup be removed from him, and he ended that prayer, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. We should end every prayer that we ask with that phrase. Now, if we consider our current passage, then we get three insights regarding prayer. Insight number one, prayer is not an end in itself. It is not an end in itself. Prayer is a two-way street. We pray and we expect God to answer, but it doesn't stop there. God expects us to respond when he answers, no matter what that is. His answers to the prayers of Cornelius and Peter involved their obedience. He told them to do something. So a lot of times we're praying, we're expecting answers, and God's expecting us to participate in that. The entire goal of the gospel getting to Cornelius was dependent upon their obedience. If you see the story unfold, it wouldn't have happened if Peter didn't meet the three men or Cornelius hadn't sent the three men to to get Peter. If that hadn't happened, at least from our human standpoint, the gospel wouldn't have gotten to Cornelius. So we have then prayer plus obedience equals answers to prayer. So something we don't want to forget is that a lot of times we pray and God sort of answers or directs us and we can't just sit and let God do all the work. We may have to respond somehow. I always tell people, if you're looking for a job, don't just pray about it. What else are we supposed to do? Pray about it and what? Get out and look for a job. That's the, they, the two go together. That leads then to the second insight. And that's the God answers are not typically immediate nor complete. This isn't always the case. God sometimes answers immediately and completely. He did with Elijah's prayer when God sent down fire from heaven to consume the sacrificed ox in front of the Baal worshipers. In fact, I think I recently had a prayer answered very quickly. But answers that come immediately aren't very often. And that's not typically the way God answers, is it? If we're honest. Some of you have been praying for certain situations for years. Larry and Cheryl Oden tell the story of her mom coming to faith after she was a Jew, uh, an unbelieving Jew. And after 20, I think it was 20 some years, they prayed faithfully daily. 
That was not an immediate answer. How many times in your life has God answered your prayers immediately and completely? I've asked that question to everybody that I've talked to this week. One person said, never. Just like that. It doesn't happen very often, does it? Can he answer immediately? Does he sometimes? Does he all the time? No. So see, this is what we see in our text. Neither Peter nor Cornelius received immediate and complete answers to their prayers. That leads us then to the third insight. God often answers gradually over an extended period of time. God often reveals his will many times over time, step by step, as we walk in faithful obedience, right? That's the way he often works, step by step. And we're going to see that this morning in a number of passages. So these insights then from our passage help explain why God is often appears silent and why we don't typically get immediate and complete answers. And I think by the time we get through this sermon, you're going to understand why. And your expectations are going to line up with the way God works. Now, there's another reason why we don't get all the answers we're looking for immediately, and that is that God has a revealed will and a secret will. This is a big topic. There are things that he reveals to us and things that he chooses to keep secret. Deuteronomy 29, 29 speak of both. Notice he begins the secret things. The secret things of the Lord, uh, belong to the Lord, our God, but the things revealed, there's the other category, belong to us and to our sons forever that we may observe all the words of the law. The things revealed here belong to us. Now, what does that mean? I believe that speaks primarily of the truths that are given to us in God's word. We can know certain issues are his will. For example, 1 Thessalonians 4.3, For this is the will of God, our sanctification, that is that you abstain from sexual immorality. So we know that it's God's will for sure that we grow in sanctification. That's a big theological word for becoming more like Christ, spiritual growth, and to avoid sexual impurity. We also know that it's God's will from 1 Thessalonians 5.18 that in everything give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So giving thanks we know is God's will. That's pretty clear. So these things then speak of his revealed will. But there are also aspects of his will that he keeps secret. Now, we know that God leads us, right? He promises that he will. We know that he guides us because there's promises all over and there's examples all over that he's going to lead us in his will. But how he leads us and the way that he goes about answering our requests and fulfilling his will is really quite the mystery. Maybe you've heard the phrase that hindsight is twenty twenty. Typically, we don't understand the details of God's will. We don't understand what he's doing typically day by day until some time has passed. Once we get past that, we can look back and it becomes extremely clear. Is that not right? 
We can then trace his path that we couldn't going into it. There's a situation my wife and I had years ago. I didn't understand it. It was baffling at the time. It was hurtful at the time. It was bad at the time. But now we look back on that, and I thank God for that experience because I can see what he did through that and what he accomplished and probably what he's still accomplishing. So there's a challenge then that we all face, and it's this. We have to walk in faith, and we have to trust God in what he chooses to keep secret. There's going to be things we're not going to know. This is so much easier said than done, right? And I think that this is hard, and here's why. Because we want to know God's will, don't we? If if you're dealing with some sort of serious situation... And you've been seeking God in this serious situation. You want to know his will. So you keep asking and you keep praying. You keep saying, God, what is your will for this situation? And we give our desire, of course, tell him what we'd like to see him do. And what we want is that we want God to write it on the wall or in the sky. If we have two job offers, we pray to God, oh God, which one do you want me to take? And by illustration, there'd be two doors, two jobs. And what we really want is when we say, God, tell me what job you want me to take. I want to be in your will. I want to glorify you. What we want is a light bulb to go up above the door that he wants us to walk through. That's what we really want. How often has that happened in your life? Not very often. We've all had big decisions to make, and it's taken time, and we've sought God, and, and, he, and, and it wasn't something that happened immediately and overnight. We just didn't know. But friends, there's reasons for this, and we have to make sure that our expectations line up with the way our gracious Lord works. So I think if we're honest, we would probably all say, yeah, that's just not normally the way he works. And so we wonder and we question. 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 7 gives us one answer. We're going to see some answers as we walk through these, these passages. Therefore, being always of good courage, notice the word courage, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Now look at verse 7. Read it with me. For we walk by faith, not by sight. What this tells us is that we're to live by faith, trusting in God without the assurance of circumstances. Let me repeat that. We are to live by faith, trusting God without the assurance of circumstances. Oh, that sounds so easy, doesn't it? It's so easy to preach, right? Just comes right off my lips. Beautiful PowerPoint. Seems so easy, doesn't it? I think, again, if we're honest, and we need to be honest here in this church, I I hope we're honest with one another, that that takes courage. Because that's scary. We're looking for circumstances. We're looking for little, little nuances, little things that happen that reassure us. And sometimes we're walking so much by faith, we get none of the circumstances. They look totally, totally out there. We we can't figure it out. And it's very, very unnerving. Don't you ever wonder about Peter stepping out of the boat? One of my favorite passages. 
That took courage. That took faith. We say, well, maybe he was a little insane, <laughs> you know, but no, that, that was a beautiful picture of trusting in God. And then, of course, he took his eyes off of Jesus and began to sink. And that's what we do. We step out in faith. We trust God. We, oh, yeah, I just got out of a prayer meeting, and I'm, I'm, I'm so confident in God's will. And then as the things unfold during the day, we begin to go, oh, that just doesn't look possible. I think this is the key reason or one of the key reasons that God doesn't often answer our prayers immediately and completely because faith says that we walk without assurances. <laughs> tough, very tough. I hope you're applying this to your life because this is meaty stuff. This is real stuff that we Christians who are bought by Christ experience. There's a familiar verse that most of us know, and I think it gives us even more clarity. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. I know it's a, a, a want a verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Very simple, right? Very easy. We all want straight paths, and what that means is we all want God's will, and a lot of times we're saying that out of fear, because I don't want to make a silly mistake and be punished for it or fall into a major disaster in my life, so I don't want to suffer needlessly, so I want God's will. And we certainly want His will, because we know that's best and it pleases Him. Friends, if that's your desire, then it requires three realities of faith. First of all, we must trust the Lord completely without reservation. We're to trust him with what? What does that passage say? All of our heart. Secondly, we must have a healthy distrust of ourselves and not lean on our own understanding. Oh boy, that's where we get into trouble, right? We're going to figure this out. How many times have you been wrong? Probably a bunch. We try to figure these things out on our own. And here's what I think. I think this is normal. See if you would agree. I don't think it's ever simple. I don't think things often make sense. You know why? Because heaven works so different than earth. We're told some strange things. Give away and you become rich. Become great. Become a slave. The, script, the, the, the walk of faith is inside out and upside down. It's, it's different than the way the earth operates. And so our thinking and our logic is geared toward earth and solving earthly issues. But I think a lot of times things don't make sense. I still can't figure out why God took... One of the people of our family has, has, has took her breast cancer. Four little children. Why would God do that? Why would that be best for a family to lose mom? I can't figure. That makes no sense to me. But does it make sense to our God? It does. It does. We've been wrong many times. I've been wrong many times trying to figure things out. And about the time that I'll say, well, I know how God's going to solve this because I've seen him do it before. You know what happens? It never, it's never, never the same. It's like he's going, you're crazy, dude. You're not going to figure me out. 
God's so far beyond us. I really think the reality is most of the time things don't make sense and we have to be careful not to rely on our own understanding because our understanding is finite. Our understanding is limited. Thirdly, we have to believe that God is sovereign and acknowledge him in all of our ways. So, we have to trust totally in God. We have to lean not on our own understanding. We have to acknowledge that he's supreme over everything. And when these conditions are met, then we can trust that God will make our paths straight. In other words, we will be in his will. That's life-changing. That's amazing. Listen carefully, please, because what I'm about to say is true, but it can be so easily misunderstood. So please pay attention. Are you ready? Behold. I like behold. We are not responsible for the future. God is. We don't have to figure it all out. God's got it figured out. This is not to say, so that you misunderstand, please listen, this is not to say that we let go and we let God. What this tells us is that we're to do our part, we're to believe, and we're to trust, and God will do His part. We take care of the now and pursue Him and trust in Him and lean on Him. God will take care of the future. That's life-changing, people. That's how we can live in peace. When he doesn't answer. When the answers don't come immediately. When they don't come completely. That's how we walk in faith. That pleases God. God has our future. Isn't that great? Proverbs 16.9 gives us a little bit more clarity. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his path. Uh-oh, or his steps. Uh-oh. We have God, his sovereignty, and man's responsibility. East Point, how does that work? Yes? <laughs> yeah, you guys are trained. <laughs> Somehow, they work together. Somehow, God is completely sovereign, and he's governing all details, and somehow we're making decisions, and we're choosing, and we're walking, and somehow they work together. Again, notice that this is not a let go and let God. We're to plan. We're to be responsible. But it isn't, isn't it comforting to know that the Lord directs our steps? One of the greatest gifts to mankind to me specifically, is GPS. Right? I see, I see Lisa Hunt out there, and Brad Fruth lives out in the country. Guys, I get past the stoplights, and I need my GPS. Lisa, I can get to your house now. After the last 18 times, I figured it out. It's a right turn, a left turn, another right turn. Well, once we enter a destination, you know what I like doing? I like to zoom out. Don't you? Okay, here's the path. Okay, just, or you zoom in actually, whatever you describe. Anyway, makes it smaller and you can see the entire path, right? But what happens is, is that once we type that in, it goes turn by turn in giving directions, doesn't it? It'll say three miles left, that's all you can see. 500 feet, take the ramp to State Road 32. 
We like to zoom out, but the way that works is once we put the destination in, then it gives us turn by turn. And all we see is the next step and the next turn. God does not allow us to see the whole path. But that destiny is in place. God's will is in place. But he's telling you, turn here, turn here, go here, respond here, do this. And so he, he leads us then a turn at a time. Friends, that's what we don't know many times. We don't know where he's going to have us turn right and left. We don't know. We just know that we're on a, on a destiny. I want to turn our attention to Psalm 119.105. This is a, a, an incredibly beautiful graphic picture of, of the way believers are to walk. You may know the verse, but let's put fresh eyes on it just for a moment. Psalm 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I want you to notice here that it doesn't explicitly mention the darkness that we're surrounded by. But that's the implication here. We're surrounded by a dark, evil, wicked, immoral world. And so we need a light. So where does that light come from? God's Word. And if we're going to walk in this dark world without falling into holes and injuring ourselves and getting into a mess... With the world being as depraved as it is, we need God's word. We need the sure word of God. It's the only thing that you can count on. Just so you know, you cannot believe everything you read on Facebook. Or TikTok or whatever it would be. There's a lot of lies out there, a lot of misconception. We sang this morning about the philosophies of the world. There's a lot of things that will drag us off of the path. But we need God's Word. Notice how the Word is depicted. It's depicted as a lamp. I want you to notice that it's not a spotlight. It doesn't shine down the road lighting up the entire path. In other words, it doesn't shine to expose God's complete will. Now, lamps in those days were really small, sort of uh, made out of clay pots, and they gave off just a little bit of light, just enough light to take the next step without stumbling or falling. As I read about this, a lot of people who were traveled a lot would strap these lamps to their feet, and as they walked, they could see a foot or two ahead of themselves. So that each step was calculated knowing they weren't going to stumble. And so that's the way God works. God uses his word not to shine down 48 hours later or whatever. It says that we're to be concerned with one day at a time. That's one step at a time. So he guides us in that way. And the, the word of God shines a light in our path. One more thought on this, by the way. What if, what if we could run ahead and see what lies beyond the next step? Where would we be? We'd be in darkness. And I think this has a lot to do with the way God answers our prayers. 
He's not going to always give us immediate answers. He's not going to always clarify every issue because what he expects us to do is to take the turn each day that he wants us to take. He wants to lead us step by step. So God guides us then a little bit at a time by the word of God, a little bit, day by day, as he's unfolding his plan. And that's the way, by the way, that God led Israel through the wilderness. Numbers chapter 9 here. Now, on the day that the tabernacle was erected, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony, and in the evening it was like the appearance of fire over the tabernacle until morning. So it was continuously, the cloud would cover it by day, and the appearance of fire by night. So God then led the Israelites consistent, continuously by cloud. I want, I'm sorry, that went up a little bit soon. Somebody sent me this, and I thought it was kind of neat. This is a cloud over Israel. Cloud. And the Coming narrator, whoever it was, saying I, that's very similar probably to what the cloud it's looked like, like cloud when God was directing Israel. Isn't that amazing? Huge. I don't know what it means necessarily. I just thought it was kind of interesting. So this big cloud would come over by day and fire by night. Look at verse 17 then. Whenever the cloud was lifted from over the tent, afterward the sons of Israel would then set out, and in the place where the cloud settled, there the sons of Israel would camp. Verse 18. At the command of the Lord, the sons of Israel would set out, and at the command of the Lord they would camp. As long as the clouds settled over the tabernacle, they remained camped. Two things. God never left them alone in the wilderness. And friends, no matter what you're experiencing, and no matter what I'm experiencing or anybody's experience that's a believer, God never leaves us alone in our wilderness experiences. There's going to be times where he doesn't feel like he's doing a thing. Have you ever experienced that? Let's talk honestly. It's like, God, did you leave me? In the Old Testament, so many of the prophets felt abandoned. And when they were in a serious situation, and they'd cry out and go, God, did you leave me? Did I make you mad? Where did you go? Why have you left me by myself? And when we're struggling and we're praying about something, and God doesn't answer immediately. Sometimes we can feel that way. God did lead them that how did he do it? One step at a time. He didn't reveal the whole 40 years. By the way, that's a mercy. Can you imagine if whatever you're experiencing, maybe today you knew 20 years ago? If I knew what my daughter is experiencing and what we're experiencing with Amelia, if I knew that five years ago, it would have been awful. And maybe God would show us something that right now we're not spiritually capable of handling that we will be later on. Isn't that a mercy that God doesn't show us the future? It's a good thing we don't have a spotlight because there may be a wild tiger down that path. God knows what he's doing. And I think this, this secret will of God, this, this idea that, we, that, we, that only he knows, that's good. We don't want to know the things that he knows. So we take a step, 
of faith. Israel never knew when they were going, where they were going to move to. God just led them step by step. Let's look at another passage. This one's with Abraham. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out of the place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out. Now watch the next phrase. Not knowing where he was going. What? God told him he's going to go. He's going to get an inheritance, an inheritance, but he doesn't know where he's going. He has no idea. God did not reveal the full plan to him, but Abraham obeyed. Abraham obeyed in trust, and he believed that God knew what he was doing, even though Abraham had no idea. Again, we often don't know God's plan. And it's okay. And it's by design. What is faith exactly? I don't have this in your notes, but if you want to write down Hebrews 11.1, 1, I took it out for time, then I thought, eh, it doesn't matter if we go a little longer. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. An incredible answer to what we're talking about. Real faith is sure of God. Real faith truly believes in God's promises, but it's never based on empirical evidence. It's not based on circumstances. It's not based on what we can see. It's assurance totally in God when we have no assurance on earth. That's hard. That's what we're called to do. And that's why we don't get immediate and complete answers. As God says, I want you to walk by faith, not by sight. I don't know about you, that door illustration. If God would put that light up there, I'd walk in faith, baby. Wouldn't you? I'd walk with faith right through that door, knowing it's God's will. That doesn't require faith, does it? You see, when we walk in true faith, we're going to be content with being led blindfolded, not knowing what lies ahead. It's not blind faith, but it's a faith that can't see everything. Now, what about Abraham and his son Isaac? Let's look at one other passage here, Galatians 22. For it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son, sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? Whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Now, I don't know about you, but I think if I was Abraham, I'd say, do what? What would be our first response if God told us something like that? Well, why? And give me some of the details. Where am I going and what's the purpose of this? God didn't tell him any of that. He didn't have the full picture. God only revealed his will step by step. 
Why was he to take Isaac? And which mountain was he to go to? And again, what was the purpose of all that? He didn't have those answers. God didn't reveal those secret things at that point to him. But why did God not give him the whole plan? Well, it's told, it tells us, because God tested him. Now we're beginning to see and get a greater clarity as to why we don't get immediate and complete answers. One of the major reasons that God keeps his will secret is that so our faith could be tested. And it couldn't be tested if God put the light above the second door. So he tests us. Even though Abraham didn't understand God, he obeyed what he had been revealed. Look at verse 10. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. This is a, a shocking passage, isn't it? Just leaves us kind of stunned. How could Abraham have that kind of faith? But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. <laughs> he keeps saying, hey, in case you don't know where I am, I'm right here. And of course, God knew. And he said, do not stretch out your hand against this lad, against the lad, and do nothing to him. I want you to notice something here that I think is very significant. God did not reveal his plan until there was a moment of crisis. It's beginning to be clearer, isn't it? Why was that? Because of God's secret purpose. Look at the last phrase there in 12. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Amazing passage. Now what do we learn from this? We learn that not knowing God's will provides tests that prove our reverence for God. So... That mystery of not knowing all the details is purposeful. And the purpose of it is to test our faith. Go back to the door illustration. If God told us, the light on, here's where you go, here's why you go, it would require no faith and it would require no testing of our faith, no trial. And you see, God does that for two reasons. To grow us to prove where we are in our walk, and to bring Him glory. It's for our best that we not know every detail because God is going to try us, and sometimes those tests last for years. Sometimes those tests last a lifetime. The heroes of the faith in chapter 11 of Hebrews, many of them died and didn't get answers. So when we walk by faith and not by sight, then that we prove beyond a shadow of a doubt, not to God because he knows it, but we prove to ourselves that we truly, truly trust God. And none of this is easy. It's a struggle. It's a challenge. So just be honest. If you don't think it is, you're not being truthful. I know some of you are at different levels of maturity, and you've had different trials. I, I get that. Another example of this that I think is really helpful is the raising of Lazarus from the dead. It says in, verse, in chapter 11, verses 1 through 5, he says, Now a certain man was sick, 
Lazarus of Bethany, the, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. And Jesus heard this. He said, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified by it. Now watch this. Look at verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and, and her sister and Lazarus. That, By the way, mark that because that's important for what's going to be said next. God loves them. Verse 6. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. What? It just said he loves them, and Jesus camps out for two, two more days and doesn't go to, the, to their rescue. You see, this sending of Jesus is similar to us praying to God when we pray out to help us in desperate situations. And how did Jesus respond? He stayed two days longer. And again, we're told that he, we, he loved them. Why would he do that if he loves them? What does this tell us? It reveals that God delays answering our prayers to magnify his glory. Whew. We wonder why God doesn't answer immediately and completely. It's because God's got a plan. And that plan is far greater than satisfying our immediate desire to know all. Sometimes God's, God waits then for our circumstances to become severe and intense before he answers. And he does that in order to magnify his power to rescue us. So what if we make the wrong choices? What if we fall? We're to step out in faith. Okay, pastor, I'm going to step out in faith. What if I really screw it up? What if I've misread God's, what he, what he has revealed to me? What if I really mess it up and I fall headlong? Psalm 37, 23 and 24, watch this. There it is. The steps of man, again, it's steps, are established by the Lord and he delights in his way. When he falls... He will not be hurled headlong because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. I, I believe this language is similar to when Judas died and fell headlong. The Lord here both establishes and protects believers when we fail. Why? Because he has a hold of our hand and he loves us. If you got any toddlers and we had some this morning, you know that you hold their hand so they don't fall and hurt themselves. Psalm 145, 14, the Lord sustains all who falls and raises up all who are bowed down. So even if we fail, even if we fall, guys, God promises that he sustains those who fall and continue to worship him. So 
what do we make of this? At the end of these sermons, we always want to kind of, what's the takeaway? What should we do from this moment on? Well, here it is. Behold. There it is again. Obey, trust, and relax. God has you by the hand. Can we do that? I mentioned that in my prayer group this morning, and somebody goes, this is really hard to relax. <laughs> it is. But if we have trust in God, we can trust that he's going to lead us and he's not going to drop us. I want to finish, if I may, by reading an email of a friend that sent me uh, regarding the pursuit of a new job. And I want to finish with this email because I think it's the way things typically work. And I appreciate his faith in this. It's a really good example of what we've been talking about in, in our sermon today. This is what he writes. In early August of 2023, my company merged with another, which created some uneasiness due to changing roles, changing management, and potentially changing pay structure. That led me to be more open to potentially looking elsewhere, but I was not actively seeking a new career. Through normal circumstances for my job, I had a meeting for work in Kokomo at a randomly picked restaurant. While there, a former contact from another company was in a separate meeting at a neighboring table that turned out to be his manager. So it was a friend, and he was meeting with the friend's manager. After my meeting, I spoke to them in a casual manner to be polite and kind, which led to a discussion about a potential career change. I was asked right then to meet in an informal interview a couple of weeks later. Due to my lack of desire to strongly pursue a new career, I knew I needed to bathe it in, in prayer. I shared it with my wife and a few close friends at church to have them praying for my job situation. I was open and content with either direction, but I wanted to be certain that it was God's will for my life. Right where we've been talking. That interview, along with numerous other conversations, led to what, humanly speaking, was a long, drawn-out process and discussion. I did not get my prayer answered immediately. I was seemingly more and more miserable with my current role. I wasn't sure if God was making me miserable uh, to get me to move on, or if he was working in me to grow my faith to persevere through trials with my current role. He didn't know. I don't know what God's will is here. It took faith that God would guide my steps as I took them. I stepped out in faith through those, through those many conversations seeking uh, to find the path that God wanted me to be on. After a couple of months of prayer, discussions, and seeking God's will, my answer was clear. God had closed the door on the new career path, and he had given me a revived contentment and peace with my current job. My prayer had been answered until a week ago. I received a call from another member of the potential new company seeking to discuss other potential opportunities they have. The new role discussed was actually a level above that which I was initially discussing with them. God is obviously still moving. My prayers may not be fully answered yet. I still need to seek him through prayer and continue to take steps of faith to seek his will for my life. That's the way it works most of the time. He didn't get a 
a spotlight. He didn't get a light above the door. This is the job. God is working step by step in his time. And this gentleman is right smack dab in God's will because he's allowing God. He's trusting in God. He's seeking God. He's been obedient and faithful. Eventually, that's going to be made clear. And when it does, I'll let you know. <laughs> Maybe a couple years from now. You know how those things go. Friends, I hope this morning that we, we, we now can align our expectations with God based on how he typically works. I don't want to discourage you. God might answer an amazing thing overnight. But that's not generally how he does it. And the reason why is there's purpose in the process. There's purpose in the timing. There's purpose in the trials. There's purpose in testing of our faith over time. That God will answer, I believe. And you'll know someday what that answer is. The question for today is, do we trust him? Are we leaning on our own understanding? And are we acknowledging him in all his ways? Because if we are, the future's established. We don't have to take that on. Amen? Father, we are so thankful this morning for your word. Lord, I pray that no one would leave here today discouraged thinking that you don't answer because you do. You promise that you'll answer. You promise that you will give us the desires of our heart. You promise that you will reveal reality to us. You promise that you'll answer what we're asking if it's according to your will. And we don't know many times what we are asking for is your will. Thank you, God, for bringing us comfort in knowing that you have our paths. You have them marked out. You've given us a light. And now you're telling us, walk by faith, not by sight. Trust me. Trust my timing. Trust the outcome. Because that's where the blessing is. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You're dismissed.